Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Tonight we're talking about restoring the glory. Hallelujah. Restoring the glory. Amen. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. And I believe we're off to a good start, don't you? (laughs) Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word together. We do so in the name of Jesus, inviting your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds that are open to it. But most importantly, Father, change us by what we hear from glory to glory. Conform us to the very image of Jesus, that we might become that for which he sacrificed his life. That we, dear Father, might shine as lights in a world of darkness, holding forth the word of life to this generation that you've called us to. That they might see our good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven. So, Father, we thank you tonight for these things to manifest in each of our lives. And as always, we'll be certain to give you the praise, honor, and glory that you deserve for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're talking about restoring the glory. And last week, talking about Holy Ghost power, we talked about the fact that the work of God is a work of faith with power. It's not faith alone. It's not power alone. But it's the work of faith with power. And of course, we get faith from what? The Word of God. We get power from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed with Holy Ghost and power. We also know that the disciples, the apostles, before they were sent out, Jesus said, wait till you get and do with power from on high before you go. We know the early church was so full of the power and glory of God that they turned the world upside down everywhere they went. In other words, there was an impact that they had in their generation, a powerful impact they made among the people that they associated with. Well, today it seems like as though, for some reason, the church has a lot going for it, but not necessarily in the way of power and glory. You know, we've got big buildings, elaborate buildings. We've got large church memberships. We've got the mega churches with, uh, you know, state-of-the-art buildings and equipment and all that. Educated preachers and programs designed to supposedly either reach out, entertain people and all that. Nothing wrong with social activity as far as people being, you know, together, worshiping the Lord and all that and serving the Lord together. But it seems like that the emphasis is not as much on the presence, the power and the glory of God when we gather together in the sanctuary here like this. I don't know about you, but I want us to come together and let God show up. His glory show up. His power show up. Why? To change hearts, to touch lives, to minister to the needs of people. This is a compassionate God that we serve who's concerned about anything and everything we're all going through in life. And he's made provisions for us to succeed As a matter of fact, the work is completely done. The finished work of Christ handles anything and everything that life can throw our way. It's up to us to believe in the finished work of Christ 
It's up to us to invite the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in us and believe that his presence on the inside of us, which we're going to talk about tonight, is all-powerful, life-changing, can heal our mortal bodies, deliver them, set us free, make us whole. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us one of the marks of the last days is that people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power to change a human life. Beloved, I believe the power of God can change any human life. If, if he can change the Apostle Paul, who is so set against Christianity and Christ himself, he can change anyone. If he could take all those that were in jail at Philippi and start a church from all those convicts, he can change anyone. It doesn't matter what we're going through in life. It doesn't matter where we came from in life. It doesn't matter what we've experienced in the past. Today, the power of God is present to change each and every human life from the inside out. Can you say amen? I want to talk a little bit about the importance of the glory of God and its manifestation in our lives individually as well as collectively as a church body. Now, notice in the... 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband, who both died. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of the Lord is taken. Now, the importance of the glory and manifestation can never be overestimated. We need a God who is a living God. One who manifests himself in glorious and powerful ways in our lives. If you need strength, he's the strengthener. If we need healing, he is the healer. If we need deliverance, he is the deliverer. If we need financial help, he's our financier. Whatever it is that we need, he's got it. If we need support, he's our helper. Can you say amen? And he has promised to manifest himself in those ways. Now, in that verse of scripture, you will notice Ichabod. But before we look at Ichabod, there is the Hebrew word kabod. And that word means weighty or heavy glory. Weighty or heavy glory. The word Ichabod means the glory has departed. So the glory of God departed because the Ark of the Covenant was taken. Because the Lord left, the divine presence left, the glory left, because they were disobedient, because of their sin. Now, going back to, to the verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3, look at what took place or has transpired here. When the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us. In other words, you better go get the rabbit's foot. Okay? They were treating the ark of the covenant like a good luck charm. Go get it and bring it here out of Shiloh that... When it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims, and the two sons of Eli, 
Hophni and Phineas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, notice all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. It was a deafening shout when they saw the ark come. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. In other words, this hasn't been happening. We've been defeating them. But they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant there. And so they didn't have the divine presence of God there. The glory of God was not there. And so they were afraid. But as you go on and read further down, you'll find out that the Philistines got up their nerve, got up their courage, and they fought against Israel and defeated them. And they defeated them. Why? Because they were living in disobedience. And because of the disobedience... The glory of the Lord departed. And even though God was there to defend them, to fight for them, to protect them, to provide for them, all the things he said he would do for them, he was unable to do for them, not because he was deficient in power, but because they were in disobedience before the Lord. Well, without the ark there, without the glory there, without the power of God there, they were like the shorn Samson. His hair cut off. He's still the same guy. He's still the same height. He's still the same stature. But he's absolutely powerless and defeated before the enemy, before the Philistines. Because the glory was gone. It departed. You see, the presence, the power, the glory of God makes the difference between defeat and victory. Life and death. Success and failure. We need the manifested presence of God in our lives that we manifest by faith by faith we believe in the presence the power the glory of almighty God it starts here in the heart I believe the enemy shudders when God's people start learning about the glory of God throughout the entire Old Testament what does he try to do still the Ark of the Covenant go set it up in the uh, the cave with Dagon and take it away from the Israelites. But what happens, even though they tried to do that, it doesn't work. Because when God's presence, His glory, and His power are manifested there among the people, even idols fall down before Him. You see, the Israelites had something and they didn't realize just how good they had it. Because of their acts of rebellion and disobedience, the glory had departed. And they became just like common people. You see, it wasn't in their own strength. It wasn't in their own power. It wasn't in their own ability that they were able to rise up and defeat their enemy. It was in the power of the Most High God. We are facing many situations in this life today. Many dis situations that are occurring in the spiritual, the political, the economic and moral scenes of our land. There's only one answer. May the glory of God fall upon this nation as we have never seen it fall before. And I guarantee you, 
It doesn't matter if a donkey is the next president of the United States of America with the hand of Almighty God upon anyone in that office. Praise God. God will work miracles, signs, and wonders and show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are upright before him. You know what Israel learned here by this experience? We can learn something from this. There can be a lot of shouting going on in the body of Christ. But you know that shouting can be shallow? Shouting? They were shouting when the ark came. Oh, our ark is here. The glory is here. The power is here. God is here. His presence is here. He's going to defend us. He's going to fight for us. But lo and behold, nothing happened. They found that God is not always in the shout. You see, we can shout all we want. We can confess the word all we want. There has to be a connect with God from the heart of an individual that says, I know Him. I am walking with Him. I have stripped myself of those things that displease Him so I can walk in harmony with Him and with His will for my life. I am sold out to You. I am dedicated to You. I give myself to be Your temple, Your dwelling place, and I will yield to the presence and power of Your Holy Spirit who I know lives on the inside of me to carry out the purpose of Your will for my life. You know, great Greater is he that is where? In us than he that is in the world. You know it's more important to know he's greater in us than, than he is in all the universe? You realize that? Yes, he is in all the universe. And yes, he's awesome in power. But that's not going to do us a whole lot of good until we start realizing he is in each and every one of us. He's alive in you. He's alive in me. He's taking up residency on the inside of us. And he wants to live big in all of our lives. But you see, the enemy, you know what he wants to do? Blind people's minds from the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He does not want God's people tapping into the glory of God and the power of God. Why? So he can render them ineffective as far as reaching the world with the gospel. He wants to destroy, to kill, steal, and destroy human lives. And he's bent on doing that. And that's why he shudders when God's people start realizing there is power on the inside of each and every one of us to rise up victoriously over anything and everything the enemy can bring our way. Praise God. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, we want to fast forward. Back then, we understand that the ark went and traveled with them in different places. And as long as they honored the covenant and obeyed God, they were divinely protected and cared for. The ark went before them in battle in the days of Jehoshaphat. When the walls came down to Jericho, the ark went before them and they just began to shout the praises of God. Think about that. They didn't have to fight at all. All they had to do was praise God. And as they praised God, the power of God was in manifestation. The glory of God appeared and they were all delivered and set free. It's pretty good when you think about it that way. You don't have to fight in this battle. Battle's mine. I'll defend you. I'll fight for you. And that's what faith is all about. I believe that God is at work. In other words, in me right now. Do you need healing in your body? I believe you're in me. I believe your glory is greater than any sickness or disease that can come my way. I believe you're restoring health to me and healing me of every wound in my life. And I want to thank you, Father God, for your mighty working in my life by the power of your Holy Spirit.
spirit, praise God. I believe to see your glory on display in manifestation in my life. Is it a marriage that needs to be restored? And praise God, instead of walking around and talking to other people about what the devil is trying to do or what he is doing in your life or in your marriage, God wants us to start talking like this. I call things that be not as though they were. I believe the hand of God is upon my marriage. I believe that He is manifesting His mighty power and glory, speaking to my spouse's heart and mine. And continue on declaring what the Word says about it, praise God, so that God can have an avenue to get into that relationship. But as long as we talk down, as long as we invite the enemy more and more, it will be to the demise of that relationship. But praise God, when we start declaring the greater one is living in me and the love of God is flowing from me and the glory of God. Do you remember, like I said earlier, when the Ark of the Covenant was in the, the uh, cave with Dagon? What happened? Dagon, the false god, Dagon, the idol, fell down and fell down again until it fell apart. Why? The divine presence of Almighty God is greater than any idol, greater than any demonic influence or force that's out there. What does that mean? That means you house the glory of God. The Ark of the Covenant is, is in you and me right now. And God wants us to recognize that, start walking in love and declaring the greater ones in us, and just let the love of God pour out from us and of us, and let the anointing flow and manifest from our lives. And guess what? It'll jump on the people around us. And the influences that influence those people will fall by the wayside because greater is he that's in us than he that is in this world. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, beginning at verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. We're fast-forwarding now. Because you see, this is the time of the Passover. This is when Jesus died. And all these priests are going into the temple and they're offering sacrificial animals. They're slaying them, they're taking their blood, etc. And doing what they have to do to offer up these sacrifices. So they're in the temple. They're in the holy place. They're in the outer courtyard where they're slaying the animals and they're going in and doing all that they have to do, all the service of the Lord. Well, what happens is the veil... Jesus gave up, the Holy, gave up the ghost, and behold, notice the word behold, and we'll get back to that in a moment. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion, and they that, had, that were with him, uh, watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. At this point, the ark is now taken into the temple. And that ark is behind this curtain or this veil that's 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 4 inches thick. We are told by many that it weighed so much it took 300 priests to move it. Can we even begin to imagine that? And while it was there hidden behind the curtain, it signified the fact that man has no approach to God. It also signified the fact that only Israel could approach God through the Levitical priesthood 
And only once a year could the high priest go in with the blood of a sacrificial animal for himself and also for the sins of the people and approach God in the most holy place. It had to be something to behold on that day of atonement. This was Passover. But imagine having to go through those ceremonies and rituals that they had to go through. Well, when Jesus died at the moment when the priests were slaying the animals, and they've done this year after year, imagine all of a sudden all these things taking place. It is dark from 12 to 3 in the afternoon. Jesus dies the moment they're sacrificing these animals. The veil of the temple from top to bottom, so thick, so strong, impossible for any human being to rip it, is ripped in two from top to bottom. The priests are there astounded when they look up and they see this because now they can look into the Ark of the Covenant in beyond the holiest place, holy place into the holiest place of all and nothing happens to them. Why? Because the Shekinah glory departed and left the Ark of the Covenant. Now, because they rejected Jesus, because they didn't shout the praises of God, did Jesus not say, if you don't praise me, the rocks and the stones will cry out? Didn't he say that? Okay, so what happens? It's darkened. What happens? The earth begins to quake. What happens? The rocks, and really the word there is huge rocks, were absolutely torn in two, torn apart. They were ripped down the middle during that particular time. This veil is ripped. The Shekinah glory is gone. They can look inside. They can see the Ark of the Covenant without any consequence whatsoever. Nobody dies. Imagine it. They had to be stunned beyond words. Shocked and amazed at the sight. You see, the word behold is a word that's very difficult in the Hebrew language to interpret in our language. The best way we can say it is, wow. Wow. Amazing. Astonishment. Look at what is happening. You can't tell me they didn't recognize or they didn't realize that something different took place. Because when that took place, Judaism became powerless. Ichabod was written. The glory had departed. There was no power with God like they had before. It meant this. There was no need for the Levitical priesthood any longer to approach God. Because you see, as God said earlier, I will be glorified in all the earth. All the nations of the world will honor my name. And on that day, that's exactly what happened. The Shekinah glory left. It left them without the presence of God. No provision from God. No power of God in their lives. No need for a Levitical priesthood. The ministry was not necessary any longer. Anyone and everyone in the world can now come boldly to the throne of grace 
and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need because the one who died on that cross has become the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant. His blood was sprinkled on the altar, on the mercy seat. Utensils of worship were cleansed by his precious blood. And whosoever will, from no matter what nation you come from, what ethnicity you come from, what background you come from, you can walk right on into the throne room of God by the powerful name of Jesus and by the, this new and living way, by this new covenant that God made, even with the house of Israel, and you can experience life and that more abundantly. And you can become the temple of the Most High God. You see, God moved. He moved. You ever move? Not an easy endeavor, is it? How many of you have to have a lot of people to help you move? How many of you have to have um, a lot of boxes to help you move? How many of you realize that you've gathered so much stuff before you moved that you were upset with all the stuff you got before you moved? Well, God's move wasn't all that difficult. He just left everything. The Shekinah glory left. And on the day of Pentecost, mm, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On that day, every individual person became the temple of the Most High God. God no longer dwells in earth-made temples or houses. He now has taken up residency in the life of a child of Almighty God. As a matter of fact, look at 1 Samuel chapter 6 and I want to show you how amazing it was that nothing happened to these people when the Shekinah glory left uh, the Ark of the Covenant in Israel, in Jerusalem. This Jewish temple was, once again, the veil ripped in two and then the presence of God was not there any longer. They could look at the Ark of the Covenant and nothing happened to them. But when you read this, You'll see how amazing it is. He smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with the great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall we go up from us? What happened was this. They took the ark. They captured the ark of the covenant. They took it away. After Dagon fell. They said get this thing out of here. They sent it over there. They looked into it. And when they looked into it. 50,000 plus died as a result of the glory and the presence of Almighty God. But when it left the temple and it was exposed and they looked, not one person died. Not one. Look at the difference. That Shekinah glory 
which we've got to let sink in our ears, is now in you. It's now in me. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you and dwelling in me. We have this glory in an earthen vessel. It's a jar of clay, we are told in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a jar of clay. But it houses the very presence, the power, and the glory of God. As he was in the tabernacle, in the tent of the tabernacle, carried about with them throughout the wilderness, so is he in you, and so is he in me. And everywhere we go, potentially, we can have the manifestation of the glory and the power of God in various ways. Providing for us what we need, protecting us from what we need protected from, and doing for us, helping us, whatever we need. We have him on the inside of us, as God said. But look at in the book of Acts, chapter 7. This is Stephen speaking before he got stoned. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking to the Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the... Possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. That was Joshua, really. Who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the Lord of Jacob. But Solomon built him an house, howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands. As saith the prophet, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? And so, what he is saying is, I'm no longer, God's no longer living in a temple, in a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And we see that because A.D. 70 it all was destroyed. God left and he found a home in people. Like you and me. He is living in every child of God. Anyone who professes Jesus as Lord. He is taking up residency in each and every one of our lives. What does it mean to have him on the inside of us? Look at some scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. He built himself a new dwelling place. He built himself a new temple. And you know what? I believe that Satan is doing his best to make people think less of themselves. He's using guilt, inferiority, sin consciousness, and condemnation. Why? To make people feel like as though they're unworthy of the presence and power of God. And to stand before Him. As a matter of fact, when I first became a Christian... I can't tell you how many preachers I heard behind pulpits saying, Lord, I'm so unworthy. Lord, I'm so unworthy. Lord, I'm so unworthy. I can just hear him up there in heaven just saying, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I sent my son to the earth. He went to a cross. He suffered and died. He rose again. He applied his blood to the high court of heaven. And he has washed you from your sin and your own, his own blood. And made you a king and a priest before the throne of God. He became sin for you to make you the righteousness of God in Christ. And now you're the sons and the daughters of the Most High. God himself. And they're walking around saying, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. 
I believe that some preachers are going to have to give accountability. They're going to be accountable for what they preach behind pulpits. The doubt, the unbelief, not understanding the finished work of Christ, not letting people know, praise God. This is about a serious, serious work of God. You realize to inhabit you and to inhabit me cost him the life of his son? Do we realize to have the Holy Ghost on the inside of us cost him so much? He wanted a family. He wanted sons and daughters. But sin interrupted that. So he sent his son to redeem us and reconcile us back to himself. And he did that and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We have a high priest at the right hand of God that says, Come on in. You're welcome in the throne of Almighty God. And all we have to do is walk in recognizing that we're washed in the blood. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and bodies washed in the pure water of the word. And that verse says, Know ye not, 1 Corinthians 6 or 3.16, Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells where? In you. Say with me, I am the temple, the dwelling place of the living God who dwells in me by His Spirit. You've got the Shekinah glory. I've got the Shekinah glory. Imagine it. I know it's incomprehensible. I know we can't wrap our brains around it. When we see this Shekinah glory falling, when we see people that can't even stand to minister for by reason of the cloud, but the glory is there. The power of God is there in that place called the temple, but it's no longer there. It's in you. It's in me. I'll never forget when I first came here and I was invited to go up to um, Prayer Mountain and preach up there. And there were some people that were, you know, they saw this young whippersnapper just came out in ministry, took over the church here in Midland, invited me out there to preach, I guess for some, I don't know, I didn't even know some of the reasons were questionable. But anyhow, I went anyhow, and I just asked the Lord, Lord, I just need your presence, I need your power, I need your glory, I need you to manifest yourself in me and through me, preach a, a simple little message. But I'm telling you, at the end, I, before, let me just start with this. Before I preached the message, I saw the glory of God standing still off to my right. I looked and saw again and as we were worshiping, and I saw the glory of God. And at first I thought they were having a barbecue cookout, and that was smoke. But I didn't see any, any grill there. It was just smoke just standing there by itself with the wind blowing up there on that hilltop and it never moved. It just stood there. It stood there for a while that I kept looking at it and looking at it and finally when I looked back it was gone. It just completely disappeared. I had no idea what it meant. All I knew was it looked like the glory of God that was standing there to me anyhow. Well then I got done ministering and I asked people to come up as we did here tonight. And as they started coming up, I I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, they never made it to me. They started falling on the ground. The glory of God was in such display and manifestation. People started falling on the ground, falling out in the spirit as God's glory filled the place. I'm telling you, people were touched by the power of God in powerful and glorious ways that were life-changing. I'll never forget that evening because it was absolutely all God. And you know, that's what we want. I don't want to come to church and be entertained with each other. I mean, thank God. We don't need another song. We don't need another this, another that, another program and all that. What we need is the presence of the glory of the living God to come and manifest itself here among us. Because you see, this church of today, I believe, is a church that's going to usher in the return of our Lord. I believe the time is short. 
I believe He's coming soon. And praise God, He is looking for people He can live in, He can manifest Himself in, show Himself strong in, and do the things that He wants to do. Praise God. I have a quote here from Wigglesworth. What the church needs is not bigger buildings, uh, not more programs, better songs, more money, and all that sort of thing, but for us to be jealous of God's glory. Wigglesworth said, The way into the glory is for the flesh being torn away from the world and separated unto God. Hallelujah. You see, I believe that today's church is looking for something new. I, I, I know that because you hear people talk about it all the time. It's a new this, it's a new that. A new prophecy, a new promise, a new pursuit. And all those sort of things. But you know what the Lord is really saying? Get back to the old. You don't need something new. Because what was done was done. And what was done is effective. Get back to the cross. Get back to the blood. Get back to the gospel. Get back to the power of the Holy Spirit within. Praise God. Get back and repent. Get on your face before God and repent. I'm not talking to people out there. I'm talking to people here behind the pulpit around the world today. You know, it's time for us to realize the hour that we're living in. We want to come together on a Wednesday night and if need be, we walk through those doors and all we do is fall out under the power of God, then so be it. Praise God Almighty. I guarantee you when you pick yourself up and you walk yourself out, you'll be so aglow of the Spirit that your spouse at home that doesn't want to go to church will see you light up, praise God, on fire and watch you burn until they too begin to want the things of God. It's not going to be programs. It's not going to be special songs. It's not going to be these programs and all that. It is going to be the... This is why when we are worshiping here tonight, that's exactly what was rising up on the inside of me. Sing the name of Jesus. Sing the power of the blood. Proclaim the goodness of Almighty God and the greatness thereof. And praise God, He will manifest Himself. And look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. This is what will take place. Let's get back to winning souls. Let's get back to making disciples. Let's get back to walking in love. Let's get back to having a hunger and a thirst and a desire for God to show up every time we meet together. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. How? According to the power. His power that works where? Where? Say in me. In me. Where's the power at work? In you. In me. Unto Him be glory in the church. What's He looking for? A glorious church. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Praise God. This is what God is looking for. This is what He's Basically, his eyes are scanning the earth, running to and fro to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are upright before him. We're living in the last days. It's the last times. And you know what? I do believe it's time for people, the people of God, to rise up and say, I don't want all this petty stuff. Get away with all this petty stuff. I am a living 
temple of the Most High God, and I want God manifesting Himself in me. I want Him to change me from the inside out until I am aglow with the Spirit. And not just speaking with other tongues, but I mean aglow with the Spirit, where the love of God just oozes out of me. When I'm concerned about relationships and getting people to serve the Lord together, where I can be a witness for Jesus with power and demonstration as I lead them into the things of God. That's what church is all about. That's what the church is. That's what the original church is all about. They loved one another. They cared for one another. They ministered to one another. They forgave one another. They helped one another. They provided for one another. All things in common. In the book of Acts chapter 4. Remember when the, the early church, when they were persecuted because of uh, the healing of the layman at the gate of the temple called Beautiful, they went to their own, and what they reported, all that the chief priests and elders said to them, they lift up their voice to God with one accord. They didn't say, give us a program. They didn't say, rebuke the devil. They said, listen to their threats and grant unto us that with all boldness we may preach your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders will be wrought by the name of the holy child Jesus when they prayed the place was shake, shaken together they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and power and with great power and great grace gave they witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ remember that then Acts chapter 5 when the shadow of Peter overshadowing the people that were brought that were sick in the street what happened they were healed even on cots and beds that couldn't walk and all that and they were all delivered and set free can we have the same today as they had back then is God the same today as he was back then does he still have creative power today as he had back then or has he changed well if God has not changed then guess who changed I'm telling you right now, people, you know, even some of our ministers feel as though we need to really get the young people to get in by using all these different things, you know, all these things that we could bait them with to get in. Change the way we worship, change the way we do this, and do something appealing to them. You know what I say? It is the power of the gospel that changes a human heart. It is the power of the gospel that changes a human life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that takes someone on the inside and changes them on the outside. Because you see, if we just candy coat it all and make them, it's a feel-good thing, then all they have is an external relationship with God. But when we say this is what God is all about, He loves you, He poured Himself out for you, He gave His, his Son for you, who died for you, and what He wants you to do is deny yourself take up your cross and follow Jesus and if people laugh at you let them laugh all they want greater one is living on the inside of you praise God let him rise up big in you defend you fight for you go before you don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ I don't know about you but I'm ready are you ready are you excited you want the best that God has to offer I don't want entertainment. I want entertained by the King of Kings and by the Lord of Lords. I want God to show up every time we meet in this place. Don't you?